Why do we challenge ourselves? What drives us as humans to do things that are difficult, or in some cases, seemingly impossible? The route that I did in South Africa, it was the first ascent. And the initial times that I tried it, I didn't even get to the top. Um, and it wasn't until I really learned those specific movements that I knew that the moves were even possible for anyone. Whether you're one of the best rock climbers in the world, a podcast host, or someone else, there are ways for all of us to become the best at what we do. With life as a metaphor, you just really need to take chances. And you'll never know unless you try. By putting myself out there, I think that's what's made me the professional climber that I am. All of that in an exclusive deal from MojaGear.com that you won't want to miss. This is Mountain Meister. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is your host, Ben, speaking. And today with me, I have Sasha DeJulian. Sasha, welcome to Mountain Meister. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me on today. For the listeners who don't know, Sasha is a professional rock climber and a student at Columbia University in New York City. She is a three-time U.S. national champion, a female overall world champ. She's completed numerous, numerous iconic female first ascents all over the world. Sasha, congratulations on being named a Mountain Meister among those other accomplishments. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. So, DeJulian, what is that? What is, what is your heritage? Um, so, my dad's family is from northern Italy, and that's where DeJulian comes from. The town specifically is Arba, Italy, which is really in striking distance from the Dolomites. Okay, and you don't look very Italian. <laughs> well, in northern Italy, there are a lot of um, kind of olive-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed people from the town that we're from. So southern Italy, absolutely not, but northern Italy. Okay. I think I can fit in. <laughs> and how, how often do people in the non-climbing world mispronounce your name? Oh, and in the climbing world. And in the climbing world. People always want to say Di Giuliani. They're like Di Giuliano. And I'm like, there, there is no I and there is no O. Are, are you related to the old mayor of New York City? <laughs> Giuliani. Yeah. I just added a D-I. Right. You added a bunch of letters. My last name is spelled S-C-H-E-N-C-K. It's pronounced Shank. People tell me it's the longest one-syllable word they've ever seen. I get Shenik and Shkank all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of annoying. Yeah, I would just call you Ben Skank. Ben Skank, good enough. Uh, <laughs> so you live in New York, and how, how do you like New York City? I do. I am currently living off campus in my apartment in New York City. Um, I absolutely love it. I think that 
it's certainly a place that's great for me to be at right now. It's not a place that I see myself living for much longer than my college years, but having the experience to really live and explore in New York City when I'm like in my early 20s is such a fun environment to grow up kind of and mature. A hundred percent. But do people in the climbing world say, what are you doing? Like everybody seems to hate (laughs) cities. I live in Boston and I absolutely love it. But all the time they're like, why don't you go to Park City, man? Yeah. You know, it's kind of surprising the amount of messages sometimes I get. Like, why are you in school when you're at the prime of your career? And it's like, Hmm. because, you know, I was brought up to really value education and for whatever reason, I knew from 10th grade that I wanted to go to Columbia. Um, and that was in New York City. And I had been training with a coach named Vidian Vinegar, who was originally from Russia, but now living in New York City. Um, and I drive up from Washington, D.C., which is where I'm originally from, and come train with him about two times per month. Hmm. And it was something about New York City that I really like. Um you know, people walk with a sense of direction and the energy is just so powerful that it makes you feel like you're being a part of something um, while in New York City. Very good. I like the way you put that. What What are you studying in college? At Columbia, I am studying nonfiction writing and business. I'm trying to figure out how, how do you balance your time like student athletes in college have always really impressed me because both the academics and the athletics are huge commitments. You're basically, you basically have a full-time climbing career. Has it been difficult to balance climbing in school? You know, it at times it is difficult to balance climbing in school specifically because climbing is my career much more than just my sport. Um, but I also have come to the, point that I understand in my career for climbing, I'll have kind of high points and low points and I have to be structuring my training as well as when I'm in school. So during my summer breaks, I can really maximize my amount of time while climbing outside. And then during the fall and the spring semesters, I generally with climbing focus on training in the gym and traveling over the weekends for events more so than like climbing trips. So I did just go to the Red River Gorge where I just did my project this last weekend, which was exciting um, because it's kind of rare that I can get outside in the middle, middle of the semester just because of time constraints. My first two years were much more difficult for me to manage my time than I'm finding this year and hopefully next year are simply because I had to complete all of the core curriculum at Columbia before I could really specialize my schedule mm. and start taking classes that I chose rather than what I had to take. Um, so my hours were more flexible, and I've just gotten more of a rhythm with how to manage time. For example, writing lists on pieces of paper, like this is what I have to do today, and then like, putting at the top of the list the priorities, like if I have a paper due the next day, then do the paper before the reading, you know, basic things like that. But then trying to figure out what hours I'm going to spend at the gym so that then when I get to the gym, I'm not thinking of what else I need to do because I've already 
allotted a specific time in my day to only be thinking about training, which is definitely something that helped me a lot, kind of zero in and focus in the moment. Yeah, lists are super underrated. I make a list every day, and I think just having it written down oh, yeah. and then the satisfaction of crossing something off your list, wow, that's a good feeling. Yeah, especially like... Sometimes I'll write, like, the little tedious things, too, just so that then I can have that satisfaction of crossing them off. You want to hear the worst thing ever? When I I do something that's not on my to-do list, I I promise you this is 100% true. Almost always I will write it down after I do it and immediately cross it off. You do that, too? I do the exact same thing. Like... Take out laundry. Oh, wait, I didn't write that down, but I just did it. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone with this. So, yeah. so but hearing you say this, uh, and you said something there uh, before about how, you know, now it's getting a little bit easier because you have the opportunity uh, to kind of select your own times for classes, whereas before it was much more restricted. And I made the comparison before with you and a student athlete, but if we think about it, you're actually at more of a disadvantage to student athletes because the school essentially has no incentive to help you as much as like you don't drive ticket sales or or boosters to give them money. And I guess in return, they don't give you selective scheduling uh, priority or, in UNC's case, <laughs> fake grades and imaginary classes, which has been recently in the news. <laughs> yeah, I would say that not being a student athlete is kind of has its great aspects and it also has its negatives. So to begin with the negatives, I guess, for example, the teachers definitely don't give you leeway for if they're like, I have to go and speak at the ESBNW Summit. Um, the teacher is just like, well, that's an unexcused absence, so um, don't miss another or else I'm going to have to fail you because you can't miss. That's for a seminar class that I have, but I can't miss more than two classes per semester or else, you know, it's discussion-based and he can't pass me, mm-hmm. which is absolutely ridiculous because the class is going well for me anyways. But on kind of like a more positive note is no I don't have special circumstances set by the school but I also can make a living off of my sport which is something that student athletes can't be doing so I have to be doing kind of extra work that I enjoy doing but in as a part of I guess building the brand that I am um, on a side note of pure athleticism with my climbing career but I'm also that's how I'm paying for school and that's how I'm paying for my life, essentially, which is something that, like, if you're competing in the NCAA, then you can't be earning any money, which I think is actually kind of surprising given, like, the state school performance and football and the ticket sales that you're driving. But meanwhile, I mean, you're just, you know, doing it for the benefits that the school can provide you that aren't monetary. It is very interesting. It's an interesting contrast between you and student athletes both have to juggle their time accordingly. But yeah, you have that benefit of obviously supporting yourself uh, financially. Um, I'm curious. So Russell, who used to co-host Mountain Meister with me, loved he loved a thing called the Pumpkin Theory, uh, and there's a book about it <laughs> called The Pumpkin Plan. And I haven't decided if I quite agree with it 
yet. Um, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts on it, Sasha. Um, tell me more. Tell you more. Basically, the <laughs> the pumpkin theory says that all of your commitments are like pumpkins in a patch, right? And the way a pumpkin patch works is that these pumpkins are all fighting for nutrients. And some of them are better at using the nutrients and grow very rapidly. And then others are basically duds, but they steal the nutrients from the good pumpkins. Now, and there's some feisty pumpkins. They're puffy, yeah. And, and this is, I should say, what a great time to bring this up as Thanksgiving approaches. Yeah, so fitting. Right. Um, but the good pumpkin farmers, which in your case would be you in this metaphor, are able to identify which pumpkins are duds, and then they cut them out so they quit stealing nutrients uh, from the healthy ones. So oh, this pumpkin theory, this pumpkin theory says that we should just focus on one pumpkin, which in your case, you, I mean, your pumpkins are school, are climbing, are maybe charity commitments. Um, this is saying focus on one pumpkin and make that pumpkin as robust and delicious as possible. And then don't spend your time with those other things because you're stealing your resources. So have you ever considered cutting a pumpkin? You know, it's funny because the pumpkin theory sounds very much like Play-Doh. Oh. Um, you know, specializing, or maybe it's aerosol, specializing in one specific task, mm-hmm. and then that's how you essentially, if you're really specialized in being a merchant, then be that merchant. Mm. Um, when I graduated from high school, which was in 2011, I took that year... I basically took a 14-month sabbatical from being in school, and I was able to travel to 28 different countries in the span of those 14 months and really just pursue competing and climbing outside um, and developing as my only pumpkin with climbing, um, which was really great, and I saw a lot of benefits in my career, and I really felt like my climbing alone took off. But at the same time, my passion was my sport, my community, my hobby, my job, um, all that I would fixate on during the day, that I think if you only have one thing that you're specializing on, then you're almost limiting yourself to all of the other great varieties that life has to offer, which for example, living in New York City and going to school, I'm developing my other side of me that maybe I wouldn't necessarily get from climbing. And I think ultimately my goal is to be able to bridge the two worlds and create something of my own from a more um, professional stance. But for now, I really like the variety in my life because I think that it's, it's healthy, I think, to have ultra different stimuli to be motivated on and to be fixated by um, so that you don't burn out. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, being open to all those opportunities, it just does, it allows you to experience things maybe that you would have never known. So you're much more open minded that way. It definitely gives you breaths of fresh air. Like if I, when I came back from climbing outside for basically May until um, beginning of September when I came back from Sardinia. It was like, oh, no, I'm confined back to this city. But then 
I start realizing, like, well, I missed all these people that I didn't get to see, and I also, like, enjoy being back in the classroom and thinking about something beyond, like, just my project that's a rock climb. Speaking of the climbing, I'm curious, uh, since you do have all these sponsors, and uh, although you are the one that's climbing, uh, it's definitely a team effort, and you get a lot of help from sponsors like Adidas and Red Bull. Do you get to choose where to climb, or is this more up to somebody else? Yeah, I have 100% power over where I climb, which is pretty cool because, for example, I was in um, Switzerland this August, and I had proposed as a film trip to go try this climb called the Here Plus. Um, And then the weather was just terrible when we were there. It was like week after week of rain, so we just said, okay, team, let's go to Sardinia. And then we just kind of uplifted all the suitcases and left. So I read at the beginning of the show that you've done a bunch of these first female ascents. Is that part of your decision-making criteria to be the first to do something? Um, you know, what inspires me about doing first female ascents is that I think that it really opens the door for other women to be achieving hmm. progress in their own climbing. And by showing by showing that a female can do a hard sport climb, it gives other women, I think, motivation at least to try that their next level. And even if another female hasn't done the route and they've only been exposed to men trying something, that shouldn't be a limiting factor to go after your own set of goals, no matter who's done it or if anyone's done it before. But I think that I don't, specifically set out to do, oh, I want to do this route because no female has done it before. I think that it comes with the territory. Generally, I set out to do an aesthetically inspiring, hard route that's going to challenge me physically and mentally. And then just because of the new progression with climbing, that it's really coming out of the stage that men were leading women trifold in their physical prowess. Um, to the point that I think that there's favoritism for gender and performance on different routes. For example, if it's more technical and endurance-oriented, maybe it is easier for women Hmm. um, who specialize in that skill set. So I think that the more and more the sport grows, then obviously female achievements will align closer with male achievements. But for now, a lot of the hardest routes haven't been done by women before simply because maybe not enough women have tried them. Yeah, good point there. So, yeah, I guess it's not, I mean, there may be a little bit of personal satisfaction. I guess that's where this question is going. Does it feel any different when you are the first one to do something, like compared to doing a route of equal difficulty? Does it feel any different when you're doing it for the first time? I think for me, it comes with how hard I had to try mm-hmm. and what sort of mental barriers I had to overcome in order to do the route. Um, in some situations, the route that I did in South Africa, it was the first ascent. And the initial times that I tried it, I didn't even get to the top because there was this crack section that I didn't know how to climb. Um, and it wasn't until I really learned those specific movements that I knew that the moves were even possible for anyone. Um, And I think that that's a really unique process because 
you you learn something about your own skill set, but you also learn something that opens doors for other climbers to go experience themselves, mm. which is pretty exciting and unique about first ascents as well as first female ascents. You're really setting the precedent and raising the bar for female climbers. Yeah. The whole first thing, uh, have you ever thought about this? Like, I, I bet you every person in the world has done something for the first time that nobody else has done. Like, if you, there's probably, there's so many things yeah. to do in this world, you know? There's so many, like, this was the first person to tie their shoe backwards while riding a scooter with one hand. Right, exactly. I don't know if that's been done before. <laughs> I, this uh, reminds me of my childhood. When I was younger, do you know what cinnamon toast waffles are? Yes. Okay, so for some reason, I loved those when I was a kid. And they come in the, like the smaller packs, but then they also come in like the 16 pack of cinnamon toast waffles, which is the really big box. And I love like I ate an entire box. Of, this is when I was oh maybe like 12 years old. And I, I after I ate it, I was like, I might have been the first person to eat an entire box of cinnamon toast waffles because like who would think to, <laughs> who would think to do that? Yeah, that's what the, um, well, I guess Guinness World Records are, like, the the higher numbers, but you could be, like, in the Guinness book for the most cinnamon toast waffles eaten in one sitting. Right, exactly. So, so I got that going for me, which is nice. Yeah. You're, you're ticking off first ascents on your <laughs> walls, but hey, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm trained. I mean, I would love to just sit and eat waffles for a day waffles. and break records. Yeah. (laughs) Um, On the topic of climbing, I, Sasha, for this next question, I want you to put aside all of the humility and modesty that you've had in our conversation thus far, because the question I want you to answer is, why are you better? And there are rock climbers aspiring to be great in this world, and you may have been there at one point. I just want to know, like, what has made you better? And this obviously isn't uh, only relevant to rock climbers. Everybody wants to be good at what they do. So what makes you so good? Um, what makes me the professional climber that I am comes from the people that I've been surrounded by. Um, I've really been lucky in my career. I've been given such great opportunities to go out and pursue my dreams after studying kind of a precedent of, hey, this is who I am and this is what I believe I can do and this is why you should support me in in going out after my dreams. And then having that request answered to um, both initially by my parents who financially supported me up until when my sponsors completely supported me um, financially as well as I started climbing at... Fort Rock Climbing Center in Alexandria, Virginia, and I was six years old at the time, and then one Saturday morning, about a year and a half later, I just walked into the gym and stumbled upon a competition and stumbled upon a great coach. Um, So based on all of these moments that kind of added up to contributing to my experience for the last 16 years has really helped my career advance as well as um, I guess both where I've been able to go with my climbing, but also how I've gotten on my feet to take climbing to the next level that I want it to be taken to. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I think it really comes with taking advantage of opportunities and just putting yourself in the ring. You know, when I graduated from high school, I flew directly to Europe on my own, and I set up camp initially in Innsbruck, Austria, and just said, well, my goal is to do really well at the World Championships, and that's what I'm going to apply myself to do initially. And so I went, and I trained in this facility with people that I met along the way from the Austrian national team and other European World Cup competitors. Um, but I, I didn't know anyone going over. I just kind of emerged myself in the scene. Um, and then it advanced, I guess, throughout that year. I, whenever I thought of some climb that I saw a video of someone doing that I thought, Hey, that looks really neat. Like even how I saw pure imagination, I saw the video of Jonathan Seagrass by three strings media productions. And I thought, that climb looks really fun. I'd love to go try it. Put grades aside and just go and get on what inspires you. And I think that with life as a metaphor, you just really need to take chances. And you'll never know unless you try. So by putting myself out there, I think that's what made me the professional climber that I am. Yeah, a few comments on that. First of all, you might like the quote from this guy named Jim Rohn, who said, you're the average of the five people with whom you spend the most of your time, which I like that one. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, And then also, yeah, like you said, being open to different possibilities, seeing where they take you. Another thing which you said there, you said, you know, I stumbled upon a good coach. I've been really lucky to be uh, around the people that I have. I wonder how much of that is due to just an optimistic outlook and being positive and taking opportunities as they come, whereas other people who have a different attitude may stumble across that same person, but for whatever reason, let's say they're pessimistic or uh, just a terrible person, uh, don't see it that way. I wonder how much outlook makes a difference. Yeah, I think and I'm, that, not, I'm not saying that your coach is bad by any means. I'm just <laughs> saying that outlook. Yeah, no, I totally get what you mean. If you're just harping on complaining about your situation, it's not really going to change anything. So I think just making the most out of what you have and take it like living in each moment to its fullest, um, being happy. It's like I love that saying when you smile at life, life smiles back at you. Hmm. And you know, I try and be as optimistic as I can about, obviously, I'm human and I get really stressed out and probably go through, like, moods where the people who I surround myself may not want to deal with me. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, you know, you just have to be thankful and think of what you have going for you and what the current situation is and then just move from there. Yeah. Being pessimistic doesn't really get you very far. Um, This actually, this next question is maybe a little bit pessimistic, but uh, realistic at the same time. So uh, we've heard that younger climbers are better because, you know, they're lighter. And for some reason, when the body matures, it doesn't always uh, go along with the climbing. It would seem to most people like 22 would be your prime, but I've heard that younger climbers can be better. Is it possible that climbers your age are starting to get worse, and does that scare you? (laughs) 
Are you calling me over my hill? I'm, I'm um, not. I mean, obviously, <laughs> your uh, your climbing hasn't uh, gone over the hill yet. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, no, I mean, I think it's so inspiring to see the new generation taking the reins of climbing. Um, mainly, I think it's, it's shown in climbing areas where height isn't, a factor and there's mm-hmm. a lot of intermediates as well as climbing competitions because climbing in the gym is quite gymnastic. Um, I live in New York City as does Ashima and I think that she is the future generation. She is an incredible climber who has great technique and is passionate about the sport. Um, at the same time, I was just at the Red River Gorge this last weekend and I was climbing with this little Australian girl who is 10 years old named Angie. 10 years old. Yeah. She was 10 years old and she was working on a 513D. <laughs> like oh at 10, I was not climbing that level. But I think that it's really natural for the sport to, as it becomes more popular and there's better facilities, um, more scientific training programs, more access for people to apply from going to gyms to going outside is it's inevitably going to, and growing in numbers, uh, you know, the bigger the field there is and the stronger the field it's going to be. And I think that kids are starting younger and younger. Um, when I started climbing and I was young age, I was one of few really who was like going outside at age eight and nine and really um, applying myself to the physicality of the sport um, rather than just having it as my hobby. But I don't think that climbers in like the 20 to 40 age range should be worried about going over the hill at all because with climbing, there's so many different aspects to the sport and so much of it is a mental game. And I feel like the more years that I spend in climbing, then the stronger my mental game becomes. You also can start applying what you can do physically on the rock to other aspects of climbing, such as for me, now I'm really motivated by doing more big wall projects. And that's because I know the technical and physical skills that I use while sport climbing, and then I can start taking it to a bigger next level. Yeah, you're going to be like the Tim Duncan of climbing soon. You no longer rely on your athleticism. You're just a veteran. No, I'm I'm definitely exaggerating. Well, when I'm like when I'm looking for data, I'm like, what is the easiest method? Because I am not strong enough to do this method. <laughs> okay, so the question everybody's been waiting for, we ask for a gear recommendation from all of our guests, Sasha, and I will say that we don't always talk about gear on this show, but when we do, we prefer that it comes from a three-time U.S. national championship, <laughs> three-time U.S. national <laughs> champion, a female world champ, and someone who has completed numerous female first ascents. Sasha, give our listeners something they have to have. Well, I have to say two things quite applicable to climbing directly. It's the... VXI climbing shoe by 510 and it is such a revolutionary shoe it's super soft um, you're basically giving your feet the opportunity to be two new hands hmm. um, I would absolutely recommend my Protex foam roller 
Uh, last spring, I tore the meniscus in my knee, and that was due to tightness in my ITD band. And ever since, I've been rolling religiously, and this product really saved my knees, but also my overall performance in my legs. Um, the next gear that I would recommend is something that for a broader audience, which is my LifeProof phone case, because I cannot tell you how many times it has saved me from breaking the screen of my phone. Because if you're like me and drop your phone everywhere you go, then this case is basically invulnerable to dropping. You can like have it out in the rain and it's still going to function. Um, even speak on the phone in the shower, which I'm yet to do. On you haven't phone. done that yet? But <laughs> this case makes it possible. <laughs> well, if you need uh, to ask me any questions about the interview tonight, you should definitely call me while you're in the shower. Uh, that sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, excuse me, audience. Can we take this to the shower? Because I'm in the rest. <laughs> yeah, great. The LifeProof case, the ProTech rollers, and the 510 shoes all on Sasha's Meister profile page. And for our listeners, I have some fantastic news. Mountain Meister has partnered up with Moja Gear. And if you're a passionate climber and for some reason you haven't heard of Moja Gear yet, get acquainted right now. What they are doing is transforming the experience that we have with online retail. You know that feeling of a mom and pop retail shop? That rhymed. Um, Moja Gear has that experience, that expertise, that personal feel that you can't find at a big box retailer or at a cookie cutter e-commerce platform. They integrate that experience into their website. Moja Gear is offering the Meister fans an exclusive deal. Literally, you can only get this by being a Meister fan. First of all, we are giving you 15% off of everything, everything in their store. Go look around, see if there's something you want, and take 15% off of it. That's how much it's going to cost. To get this, you need to enter the code MEISTER at checkout. And special for Sasha's interview, we've negotiated an extra discount on all 510 products, which is 19% off. My favorite number is 19. We got you 19% off of all 510 products using the code MEISTER510. That's MEISTER510, M-E-I-S-T-E-R 510. If for some reason you forget these when you go to buy, you can find a summary of the deal on our website, mtnmeister.com under the deals section. Moja, M-O-J-A, gear.com. Check it out. Okay, so to finish, Sasha, you have been fortunate enough to reach pretty much the top of your sport, and you've been able to meet a lot of other athletes who are at the tops of their sports, not necessarily in climbing. And although climbing is a very tight-knit community, there's probably a lot that you can learn from athletes at the tops of other sports. So I'm curious, what have you learned uh, from those athletes? Um, One very interesting topic that's come up in discussion with other athletes at the top of their game is this idea of flow. Um, which is essentially that moment where everything clicks and you trust your body to do the motions and you're mentally fixated on 
what exactly you're doing in that very moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of athletes from different sports have that similar relation to flow that is so prevalent in climbing. Um, And then on a separate note, but very similar, is just the idea of sports being so applicable to setting goals and learning the satisfaction that determination and hard work brings. Um, I'm really interested in spreading this idea of living a healthy and active lifestyle because I think that it is the answer to the nation's epidemic, which is obesity, but also the correlation between academic augmentation and physical activity is just amazing. And providing sports as an outlet for kids to have a community and to really associate with other kids and learn the concept of play rather than maybe joining um, the local gang or occupying their time while playing video games is just so much more healthy for youth development. Um, So I think that those are definitely two things that I've learned um, that I particularly share with other professional athletes. Sasha DeJulian, wonderful having you on Mountain Meister today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. For the listeners, check out Sasha's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. You can also connect with Sasha through multiple social media platforms. That's the benefit of technology these days, among many other things. Sasha, how can our listeners connect with you? Okay, so I am on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. My Facebook page is Dash Sasha Joyan. My Instagram is Sasha D. Joyan, and my Twitter, no doubt, is Sasha D. Joyan. Great. We will have those links posted to your Meister profile page as well. Sasha, have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. Likewise. Hey, Meister fans. Thanks for tuning in to that episode with Sasha DeJulian. Great to have her on the show, and that was a lot of fun. Don't forget to drop by Moja Gear, M-O-J-A-Gear.com. We got those sweet deals for you guys. 15% off of everything in the store using the code MEISTER at checkout. Also, 19% off of all 510 products using the code MEISTER510. And just in case you don't remember, every single thing we talk about in this podcast, we have all of it for your reference on our website, mtnmeister.com Enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. I am your host, Ben Shank. Talk to you next time.